so I'm glad to be here. The last two Sundays, um, my husband and I have watched online. We weren't able to be here. So it's so exciting to see everyone today. Uh, many people are asking about my husband, Kevin. He's at home recuperating from unexpected cardiac bypass surgery. He's doing well and sends his greetings. We want to thank everyone for all their prayers and support. We have felt the love and the impact of prayer. We're so thankful to the Lord and his kindness that never ends. So we're, we are in a series of the incarnation. And today our focus is the name of God. And it's Emmanuel, God with us. While the world is full of bad news, right? The world is full of bad news. There is good news. And Emmanuel literally means God with us. That is our hope. That is our reason for hope. It was God himself, not a lesser being, not an angel, not a powerful person, not a political leader, religious leader, or military leader, or a movie star, but God himself is with us. Love has come to us, and God is present with us. So I want to create a little scenario here, but first ask you, have you ever met a very, very famous person? Anybody in this room? Anybody? Okay, I see a few hands. Okay. I have two autographs of NFL players who spoke at my cheerleader camp in high school. <laughs> that was a few, few days ago. <laughs> and they shared their faith in Christ at the camp. And it made a very big impression on me. And it was one of the things that drew me one step closer to faith. Um, we have cousins, and their prized possession is a photograph of them shaking hands with a past president. But what if I told you that my family had been friends with the Queen of England since my father met with the family in World War II? And we visited her for a week every every summer in the palace. What if I told you that she paid a debt of our family out of gratitude for the military service of my father that impacted England? What if I told you that she had mentored me and provided for my education? Okay, truth now. <laughs> None of that is true. <laughs> the closest I've come to British royalty is the British baking syrup. I've made a British recipe, strawberry sponge cake that was used by Queen Victoria for royal tea, and I've had English breakfast tea. Those are the closest ties I have to Britain or the late queen. But wouldn't it be nice if you had connections with someone of wealth and someone of influence, someone who could pay your debt and provide for your needs? Wouldn't we all like a benefactor? Does it really matter here on earth who we know? Well, when it comes to people of this world, it really does not. It doesn't matter whose hand we shook or whose autograph we have. But when it comes to God, yes, it matters greatly. While I never met the queen, I have met Jesus. And while she had a place in the United Kingdom, and even the world, Jesus is far more important to know. 
you and I can be connected to God, the great benefactor, the only one who has unlimited wealth, the only one who can pay our debt of unrighteousness. So we have access to this God, not because of anything we've done, but what he has done for us. Over and over again, the way of love finds us. And now today we're going to look at what it means for God to be with us in his birth and his life. So if you already know this God who is with us today, we have an opportunity to celebrate that and the goodness of God as we worship later. If you don't know this good news, I have a deal for you today. Today, December 4th, 2022, could be your best day to first believe. Come, Lord Jesus, into this space. We invite you to display your great love through your presence. Open our eyes to see you. Open our hearts to receive you. Open our spirits to draw close to you, Lord. We thank you for all that you do for us, for all the ways you initiate toward us and you're intentional toward us. We thank you that you heal our bodies, you protect us, you mend our brokenness, and we all are broken. You make us whole. You fill us with shalom, peace, and hope that only you can do. So be it now and forevermore. Amen. So this is the second Sunday of Advent, and it's time to search the scripture for meaning of the events that happened there. Christmas can be a wonderful tradition, but it also can be a time of rich revelation of Christ. We have three questions to answer today. They're pretty basic. Who was Jesus? Number two, why did he come? And number three, what difference does that really make? So when we think of who is Jesus, a question we might have is, where was he before he came to earth? When you get to know someone, you might learn about their origin, their family, where they live, what they do for what they do in life for a living. And the more you get to know someone, the more you know their identity. But if you're an investigator, you want to know every detail down to the DNA and the fingerprints. Lee Strobel was a Yale Law School graduate when his wife became a Christian. And he was an atheist and a skeptic. And he wanted to investigate Christ as a lawyer. But you know what? Strobel placed his faith in Christ because he could not disprove that Jesus was the Christ. So you can read his story in The Case for Christ in his book. Another man named J. Warner Wallace investigated the identity of Christ as an atheist. And this time, this guy was a detective. He was a homicide detective. Using his professional training, Wallace, too, found that the that the identity of Christ was rock-solid case. Wallace speaks of discovery of faith in Christ in his book, Person of Interest. Now, I'm not a lawyer and a detective, and I don't know if you are either, but we have scripture as our means of investigating Jesus and understanding where he existed before coming to earth as a baby. In John 1, 1, 
it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Some other translations put it this way. The Amplified reads, in the beginning, before all of the time was the word Christ and the word was with God and the word was God himself. And the Passion Translation reads, in the beginning, the living expression was already there. And the living expression was with God, yet fully God. Don't you love that description of Jesus as the living expression? This speaks of the origin of Jesus at the beginning of time and his relationship as a part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From the onset, Jesus was the Word. He was the message. He was the communication. He was the voice. He was the good news. He was the gospel. So before internet, before television and movies, before audiobooks and podcasts, Jesus became the message. He was the word mankind needed to hear. He did not send an angel. He did not send a human. He did not send an email to bring his message. He was the message. So if you're a business owner, take note. Look to Jesus for a model of the best customer service. You know how you can be in a big store looking for that one hard-to-find thing? Jesus doesn't say, look on aisle 17B. He says, come with me. I will show you where it is. I will show you where to find your salvation. In the book of John, Jesus is described a few verses later as light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's John 1, 4 through 5. Just as there is now, there was darkness, great darkness on the earth, when Jesus entered as a baby. But there was hope, because he not only brought light, he was the light. Later in the book of John, Jesus describes himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. That's John 14, 6. He is the way. He did what we could not do. He cut a path through a wilderness and made a bridge over the water for us to get where we needed to be. He is truth. Truth is wholesome. Truth goes hand in hand with wisdom and righteousness. Don't our hearts stand and salute when we encounter truth? And he is life. He is create, we are created for oxygen-rich life. This life is purpose-filled. We are called to new life as a believer in Christ. And as we read this verse already this morning, no doubt Mary, the virgin mother of Jesus, had heard this verse in Isaiah foretelling the birth of Christ in the Old Testament. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We could spend a long, long time describing Jesus. So here we have, in summary, we have the Word, 
the light, the way, the truth, the life, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. These are all amazing descriptors. I couldn't create a better picture of a God who would, I would want to be my God. So Jesus was God, but equally amazing as all of these descriptors is the fact that he humbled himself to become the most vulnerable of all humankind, a baby. Imagine a newborn. A newborn is helpless and utterly dependent, unable to speak except to cry, has limited coordination, can only digest milk, they're unable to move their body from place to place. This vulnerable state was just the opposite of what Jesus had in heaven, where all of the angels of heaven were at his disposal. So why would he do that? Why would he exchange his place in heaven to become vulnerable? Why would he come as a baby instead of a man? Why wouldn't he come as a king or a person of influence? I don't know about you, but wouldn't you like about you, but for me, I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall at that staff meeting where God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit were making plans to enter man, humankind. Now, this is not recorded in the Bible, so it must not be important for us to know exactly, but I have an imagination. I'm sure Jesus agreed to the mission before coming to earth, but why did he come? Was he just wanting to relate to the human experience so he could relate to us? Or was he needed in the human experience to bring the good news and to pay the price of sin? We're going to address this more in just a minute. I also love that in terms of literary uh, character, he is what we know as the everyman character. He's a protagonist, he's the good guy, and he's relatable to anyone in their human experience. You know, he was born in humble circumstances, yet he was a king. Poor and rich, humble and wealthy could relate to him. The circumstances of his virgin birth were subject to question. A child of an unplanned pregnancy or adoption could relate to him. He experienced rejection in life by religious leaders, and anyone who has experienced rejection can relate to him. He was displaced of sorts when fleeing to Egypt to escape a murder plan to take his life. Anyone who is displaced or been threatened can relate to him. And he suffered in the flesh at the cross. Anyone who suffered in the flesh or bears a handicap or injury or pain can relate to him. I worked at a camp for handicap for three summers in college, and so I was surrounded by people with various handicaps. And it came together for me that they could respect their God because he had suffered in the flesh, as was their everyday experience. So Jesus established his credibility through his family history and his lineage of 42 generations, as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2. We see that Jesus had origin in the, with the Trinity, 
He had a place in the lineage or the history of mankind. He was born into a family, a carpenter and his wife. He lived as a human, but his whole purpose was to please the Father, to be the message and the Savior. So again, why did Jesus come? Was the way of life in the Old Testament not sustainable? Did they run out of animals to sacrifice for sin? Or were animal sacrifices for sin not good any longer? Did they not do the job? Or was it the heart of God, the Father, to remove for all time the barrier between God and man? Just think of that. I think that was it. Did Father God desire the same close fellowship with us that he had with Adam and Eve before the fall? I believe so. God moved in the way of love to find us and draw close to us. So I wonder if God was counting the days until Jesus came to earth. I wonder if God could hardly contain himself when Jesus was born and the angels appeared in the night sky to the shepherds. I wonder if God had you and me in mind when Jesus was destined for the cross. I wonder if God could not wait for that curtain of separation in the temple to be torn in two that separated God from man. There was a price for this unhindered fellowship with a righteous Father God. It was a sacrifice, but it wasn't an animal sacrifice. It was a sacrifice of a pure, spotless, sinless Lamb of God known as Jesus. While we are all born in the flesh and we all will die, Jesus was born to die. Some say the swaddling clothes speak of the grave cloths of Christ. Some say that two of the gifts of the Magi, the frankincense and the myrrh, speak of burial spices. Some say that the manger on which he was laid was probably made of stone and a place of typically of animal sacrifice. Like Aslan, the great lion in the book The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, Jesus would be the only one who could erase the wrongdoing of mankind. In 1853, a 21-year-old man named Hudson Taylor sailed a clipper ship to China. He wanted to share God's love with the people of China, and he studied to be a doctor to meet physical needs as well as spiritual needs. He not only wanted to serve, he wanted to identify with the individual. He did a very radical thing in his time. He wore the traditional clothing of a Chinese man, including wearing his hair in a pigtail. He did not want to impose English culture along with the English gospel on the Chinese culture. He wanted to be as Chinese as possible to reach the people of China. And he did that for 51 years. In in essence, he said, I am not only going to pray for you people of China from the comfort of my home in England, but I'm going to come to you. Not only am I going to come to you, I want to be one of you. 
Hudson Taylor was a famous and revolutionary missionary, but I wonder if he got his cues from the first missionary, Jesus. Jesus came to us. He left the comfort of heaven to be with us, and he wanted to identify with us. He was born like us. He dressed like us. He looked like us. He not only brought the good news, he was the good news, and he paid the price for the good news. He became the ultimate sacrifice for us. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And Philippians 2, 8 says, And being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death death on a cross. So let's face it, it was a rotten deal. It was a rotten deal for Jesus to be fully God, to be vulnerable in the flesh as a human, and then to be the sacrifice. But you know what? That's if you look at it without faith and look at it without understanding. Because Hebrews 12, 2 gives us the key. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Don't get me wrong, the cross itself was not joyful or pleasant, but his purpose of the joy of seeing us in fellowship, in unhindered fellowship with God, was his goal. He was resolute. He was focused and empowered by the Spirit to accomplish the work of the cross forever, to cover the sin of all mankind, including yours and mine. So what difference does it make? A popular topic among uh, leading world speakers recently is the topic of presence, such as being fully present with whomever you are with. But you know what? It's not a new concept. As Emmanuel, Jesus brought presence. Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does always mean? It's pretty simple. It means always. Is God with you when you're happy? Always. Is God with you when you're sad? Always. Is God with you when you need unexpected surgery? Always. Is God with you when you experience rejection or hardship or financial difficulties? Always. When you practice the presence of God, you believe he is always with you. I used to not like being alone and sometimes fought fears. But that's not my experience now. I'm slightly extroverted, meaning I prefer the company of people and get energized by being with people, but I can be alone from people and I am no longer fearful because I know he is always with me. He's with me in the good times and the hard, morning and night. There's mercies in the morning and faithfulness by night. Whether I'm doing mundane things like the dishes or cleaning house, 
gardening, watching a movie, reading the Bible, problem solving, finding a missing item, wanting direction on how to do something. I asked God to hold my hand when I am afraid. The night before my husband's surgery, I just asked the Lord to hold my hand and I fell right to sleep. Or bearing a burden. Sometimes our burdens are too heavy and he helps us. Or providing when we're in need. He is always with me. I pray to him and confer with him throughout my day. His presence is one of my greatest treasures. While the guy who fills my tires with air was lying in a hospital bed, my tire light went on. I planned to go to the air pump at Kroger's and just ask whoever was around if they could help me because for 34 years I haven't had to put tire in <laughs> or air in my tires. So anyway, the pump was out of order. So I thought, I need to get to the hospital. I'm just going to go on my way. And the first tire place I see, I'm going to stop there. So it happened to be tire discounters. And I pulled into the first bay. And lo and behold, I turned the van off. The garage door goes up. And before I even spoke a word, a man came out with an air pump in his hand and offered to check all of my tires. Tears of gratitude welled up in my eyes because that was the kindness of a stranger expressing God's presence to me. One of my life verses is, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Psalm 20, 73, 28. So what keeps us from his presence? Is it busyness? Is it lack of belief? Is it distraction? You know, we are a highly distracted culture by this thing called social media. It can be addictive. It can rob people of real relationships and even God's presence. Sometimes parents can miss teachable moments with their children. Or spouses and friends might miss depth of conversation. Or others might compare themselves with other people and find themselves lacking. Media has benefits, but also can distract us from a relationship with God. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story. This is true. There was, a, there was a Native American Indian tribe that had a rite of passage for boys as they entered the age of manhood. They were to go out into the woods by themselves, blindfolded, for three days. They would fail the test if they dare take the blindfold off and they bear the shame and reproach of not earning their manhood and the status of a brave. So they needed to prove their bravery. What they did not know was their dad secretly went out with them and stood guard from a distance over the sun the entire time. I think that some Christians feel blindfolded and alone in the wilderness. They don't see his presence with them. Today is time to take off the blindfold and see that he is there. It's time to untie the knot and open your eyes to see him. Emmanuel, God is with us. Presence is a huge beautiful gift. Don't miss it. 
all of us need to grow in experiencing it for the rest of our lives until glory. And Jesus incarnate also brought purpose with us and mission when he came. You know what? His purpose and mission did not leave when he died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. It's like he became the bread of life, which we're going to share in today, for all who would believe. And it's like his loaf was cut into a million pieces for us to share with others. We are the body of Christ. As the church of Christ, we are the arms and the feet of Christ. We are to be the Christmas gifts and the arms of love to the boys of the hill at the nursing home or the police on duty on Christmas Eve. Jesus gave us his presence to never leave us, and he gave us his mission to carry out on his behalf. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. Now I'd like you to consider, where are you today? God is inviting us into his presence or into a greater place of his presence. For someone here today, this might be the first time that you've ever seen a need for a relationship with Christ. So I'm just going to ask for you to stand as a sign of accepting his offer of presence and to be your savior for the first time. So I'm just going to allow a minute for you to say yes to God. And for the rest of us, let's just remain in quiet for a sweet moment to give Emmanuel, God with us, greater access into our life. There's no condemnation here. It's an invitation. The way of love is coming to us. Thank you, Lord. So just please stand if this is your first time to know and accept Christ. just to ask if, if this message is stirring in your heart to get prayer at the end. The prayer team will be in the back after we have communion. And remember that God is here for any need that you have. Today is a day to celebrate God with us. And when God is with us, we have the great fixer with us. The way of love has come to us. Today is the day to receive what we need from him, from our heavenly benefactor. Do you need healing? Do you need encouragement? Do you need confirmation? Do you need provision? Don't leave with allowing, without allowing the Lord to minister to you. Lord, we thank you for your love that never ceases. We thank you for your presence that never leaves us. 
We thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. We celebrate your coming in time and space as Emmanuel, God with us. We love you and declare a need for you.